Hello everyone, and welcome to Tavern Adjacent. I think that's the name I'm going to go with for this new podcast that I'm doing. It's the new venture we're doing, Crispy's Tavern, for the Wednesday podcast. We had Shadow over Caraconas for a while now. That series went on for a couple months, and we're going to talk about that more in the future. Uh, but yeah, that show was great, but now it is over, and I'm taking a little bit of a break from actual play grind. Not to say I'm not recording another D&D campaign. I am, but I'm not like producing it right now. I'm just recording the sessions. We're in that stage of the process. So right now, I just want to do like a chill Wednesday podcast because I like doing advice videos every couple weeks instead of every week, just because it lets me like actually come up with some good advice for you guys, because sometimes when I was doing it every week, I just kind of like BS a video. And of course, those videos are not usually the ones that do well because they're not as good. So hopefully this is a nice in-between. I want to do like a chill, casual podcast and just relax, talk about some of the stuff that I am interested in and maybe help you guys out through some like voicemail horror stories. I thought that that was a good idea in my little brain space that I got from Kelsey Kreppel's show, show uh, I should say, Circle Time, uh, which was really good. I like when she responds to voicemails from her audience, and I was like, hey, I'm a D&D horror story channel, and a lot of my stuff is like helping people out with horror stories, so let's respond to your horror stories uh, on this new podcast, as well as talking about other stuff. We're going to be doing a bunch of stuff on this show. It's going to be fun. At least I hope it's going to be fun. I don't know if this is a good start. I don't know if this is a good setup either. I, I changed the normal tabletop tavern tip setup like a tad just because I wanted to differentiate the shows. This is a little bit more casual. You can see my gamer lights a little bit. That's fun. Gamer lights. But but yeah, anyway, I don't know if this is a good start. I'm trying my best here, guys. But yeah, if you guys are enjoying this, um, stick around because we have, we've got a lot we've got a lot of stuff to talk about um, on my little phone here. Uh, but I think first and foremost, I think we got to start with voicemails because I asked you guys for voicemails in the previous two RPG horror stories. And you guys, you delivered <laughs> like, my God, my my inbox was full, chalked to the brim of, of voicemails from you guys talking about your horror stories in your D&D games. And I think it's time that we listen to a few of those. So I don't think we're going to always start off the show with voicemails, but this time, this time we are starting the show with voicemails. So uh, here we go. This little story I have is not what I would call a horror story. It's more of a funny and slightly facepalm-inducing story. So, Horde of the Dragon Queen, the opening adventure. You arrive at the town and find it being attacked by a blue dragon and dragon cultists. The first words all night out of, I believe, our druid was, can I use animal handling on the dragon? After being told no by the DM, he beelines straight for the keep in the center of town, seeing the ballista on top of it. He makes it up there with the ranger chasing him the whole time and starts shooting at the dragon, trying to get its attention. And as it swoops down to breathe lightning all over him and the ranger, he shouts out, I want to make a bargain with you. Yeah, the, the dragon didn't listen. So this player I have both DM'd for and played with. I was a player in this case in Dragon Queen. Uh, he's got kind of a bad habit of getting his character killed, often in ridiculous and facepalm-inducing <laughs> incidents. If you want to hear some more about this about this player, I don't play with him anymore. He kind of moved on, but again, I've got plenty of incidents involving him. If you want to hear some more of them, let me know. Have a good day, Crispy. Thank you so much for that story. Um, my friend. I'm not doing names here. I just kind of have them all be anonymous right now, but, you know, feel free to, like, uh, make yourself known in the comments if that was your story. But yes, from from voice caller, uh, from caller number one, we have a story that takes place from Horde of the Dragon Queen, which, if you guys have watched this channel for any length of time, you'll know is my favorite module ever. I love it, so... No, I hate Horde of the Dragon... I don't hate it! Okay. I don't hate Horde of the Dragon Queen. That was loud, I'm sorry. But I don't hate Horror of the Dragon Queen. I just do not like it at all. <laughs> and I think I've said that many times on this channel. Um, I'm not going to go into why, but, you know, we'll, we'll leave that for another episode, maybe, perhaps. But yeah, Horror of the Dragon Queen, and we have a player who I wouldn't say is an instigator. I, I think that this kind of qualifies as chaotic stupid, not necessarily that they're using their alignment 
to justify their actions, but they are acting really stupid. They are also trying to betray the party, which isn't great. That's not fun. They're trying to sell out the party to a dragon. Not awesome. And this kind of comes back to a mentality that we see a lot in some players where they think like, okay, I understand the basics of the spell. Can I twist it to make it do something that goes way beyond its intended purpose so that I can basically just win the game? In this case, using like, what was it, animal handling or some kind of like low level spell to try to like take control, basically trying to take control of a dragon at low levels, which I mean... Yeah, guys, that's just not going to work. I mean, it's a classic, like, oh, I'm going to use create or destroy water to create water in the enemy's lungs and immediately kill them. Like, God knows how many players try to pull that one off. And I'm not exactly, like, a huge rules-as-written guy. I've, it's come to my attention that, honestly, a lot of the rules, I change. Like, a lot more than I expected. I have way more homebrew rules than I thought I did. So I'm definitely not a rules-as-written kind of guy. But in this case... I am. Like, you can't use create or destroy water to just instantly kill enemies because that would make the game very unfun because where's a challenge in anything unless I make every enemy be able to, I don't know, like, breathe water or just immune to that effect. And you can't use, like, befriend creatures or an animal handling check to befriend a dragon because that would, again, be kind of silly. This dragon's a major, if I remember correctly, this dragon's a pretty big part of Horde of the Dragon Queen and just making him your buddy immediately is not going to be very balanced because he's a dragon, not great. So uh, I think there are times where I need to remind players of that. It happened a lot in my early campaigns when I was playing a lot with brand spanking new players who wanted to use animal handling checks to befriend like horrible aberration monstrosities. And when they didn't succeed, even with decent rolls, it felt kind of contrived. But I had to explain to them like, look, just because you roll does not mean that it is 100% possible especially when it's a really difficult to pull off task. Like, just because you rolled a 21 to tame this horrible eldritch monstrosity does not mean it's immediately going to become your pet. Like, I had it not bite you. That's, that's kind of far, as far as a 21 is going to, to take that situation, you know? And those players understood. It's that kind of thing where sometimes you just got to explain it. And if they react with hostility, well, then that's a whole a whole other ball game of issues that you've got to think about because when a player reacts to hostility to uh, or reacts with hostility I should say to a pretty innocuous criticism of a misinterpretation of the rules and game balance and such then that's a warning sign of a whole different kind not to say that that's what this player is doing i don't really know enough about this player to understand like all of the ins and outs of their dnd um, chaotic stupid or stress, just straight how about we rename it for this player just straight up stupid syndrome that sounds so mean but you know it's kind of true I think but yeah um, I can't I don't know everything about this player to like precisely figure out how to talk to them about this but I find that just explaining like look if you can pull off these incredible feats with super low level stuff that easily, it's going to make the game a lot less fun. Not to say that you can't pull off creative stuff with your spells. I think that's that's really, really cool. Like in a game I just ran, I ran someone used mending to like put together a map that was burnt to ash. I thought that that was cool. Is that going to break the game in half? No. Is that precisely how mending works? Probably not. But I let it happen just because that's... That's a neat thing. It's not going to break the game in two, even though Mending is a pretty low-level spell, right? But here, we've got somebody who is trying to break the game that would make the game less balanced and that would make the game less fun. So, yeah. Uh, there you go. There's my uh, whole prognosis on that situation. Um, I hope that perhaps you could send in more stories in the, in the future and maybe we can figure out more about how you could talk to this guy if you ever do happen to play with him again, which I don't think is going to happen in the future based on what you said, but... Yeah, there you go. Next voicemail. It was an online game, and my best friend was the DM. The other players were returning players from the DM's previous campaign that I had jumped into at the very end. In uh, the prior game, all the players were nearly 40 or older, except for the daughter of one of the players, who was 13. She understood the game and was great. In the new campaign, one of the player's sons decides to join. Enter the Nightmare 12-year-old. He fundamentally did not understand that this was a cooperative role-playing game. I think he thought it was just Imagination Skyrim. He had main character syndrome. Everything at every moment needed to include what his characters were doing. This wouldn't have been the worst thing if his character was ever participating with the group. 
But usually, this meant that he was constantly talking over the DM and interrupting everyone else to explain why his chaotic, stupid barbarian, who wasn't even the same location as the party, was doing whatever he was doing. He also metagamed. There was a time when combat broke out, and he asked, Is this when I use the monster manual? I think the worst part was that his dad did not teach him how to play. It was just session after session of the DM trying his best to teach the 12-year-old through in-game consequences on how to play a cooperative game. I dropped out, and the DM ended the campaign about the same time. Uh, the lesson, not all preteens are the same, and I won't play with kids I don't know ever again. So honestly, I, I do absolutely feel this one, and I don't blame the 12-year-old entirely. Look, I, I didn't play D&D when I was 12. I don't no, I did not play D&D when I was tall. I was like trying to like date myself. I was like, when did I play Dungeons and Dragons? Date myself. That doesn't sound great. Oh, look. Okay, back to the thing. I'm getting distracted by my terrible choices of words. But um yeah, I I didn't play D&D when I was 12, but I imagine I wouldn't play it very well just based on how I play other games when I played other games when I was 12. And um I don't blame him. Like honestly, like the kid saying like, "Oh, can we use the monster manual in combat?" That's not it might be that's not a crazy idea if he does not know exactly what the monster manual is because his dad didn't explain the rules or anything, right? So if he doesn't know what the monster manual is, maybe he'll assume that's some kind of like in-game tome of creatures. And in order to like fight them, you need to like discover their weaknesses by flipping through the book and like deciphering stuff. And honestly, that actually sounds like a really cool game where the where like the game master or whatever like puts a creature in front of you and you have this like this this book that's like made to look like it's an in-universe book and you actually have to like flip through and like solve puzzles to figure out like um the the weakness of this creature i actually think that that's that's kind of a cool idea maybe that's what this kid thought i don't know or maybe he was just trying to cheat uh i really have no idea i will say just like a lot of times in-game consequences have a limit to their capabilities and there are absolutely times where they work this this is not one of them. This is clearly not one of them. I don't think the kid fully understands like, oh, these consequences are happening because I am playing this game in an uncooperative way. I think he just kind of understands it as, oh, bad things happen in this D&D game. I need to like fight harder to, to, to combat against these bad things. And that might actually enforce their negative behaviors. Um, obviously, I think that you know, it falls on, when I play D&D with brand new players, often it falls on me as the dungeon master, as well as the other players to sort of shepherd the new player through the game, like teach them how to, you know, roll the d20 and add up their modifiers and like do all that neat stuff. And I'm assuming that the kid understood that at the very least, but didn't understand the cooperative aspects, which I don't think in-game consequences are just going to do it for that. Like you got to just straight up tell the kid, hey, this is a cooperative game and you're not working with the rest of the players and that is making it less fun for everybody involved. I think this is going to be a better game if you try working with everyone at the table. I don't know if that would work on this kid. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I mean, I hope it would. As for like, oh, should you play with kids? I understand that, um, you know, sometimes a lot of time that kind of huge age gap is, is difficult. Not all the time. Like, I follow um, this woman on Twitter who plays D&D with her son, uh, who is much, much younger. I think he's 10, and it's great. Like, it's like a family D&D game. Obviously, massive age gap between the parents and the kids, but, you know, that that sounds like a lot of fun. And they have a lot of fun with this young DM running his first adventure and the parents, like, cheering him on. I mean, that's great. But, obviously, there's a degree of, like, how, I don't know how to describe it, other than, like, social contract that comes with playing with people that are younger than you. Like, like the guy said, like they play with that girl, and she played the game cooperatively and with the rest of, of the uh, people present. I'm assuming like her parent was there or something. And, um, and yeah, it turned out great. But when the guy brought in his son to play as well, it wasn't as good. Because, yeah, like the guy said, not every preteen <laughs> is, is the same, right? Not everyone plays this game in the same way. And obviously when you're younger, you're probably going to come up with more immature behaviors because... They're, you know, they're kids, and that's just that's going to happen sometimes. Not to say that, you know, young people can't play Dungeons & Dragons, you know. I'm not exactly an elder myself, if you can't tell. Uh, but, but yeah, I do understand where this guy's coming from. And I do think in-game, uh, not in-game, out-of-game talk is the best way to solve things like this. I say that all the time, but here I really, really stand by it, especially when it's a younger person. 
Um, but but yeah, I, I don't know how that would have turned out because it, you know that didn't happen in the story. But um, I think that that is a decent way to sort of mitigate the situation. Hi, Chrissy. I'm just needing some help. I'm a fairly new DM. I have a group that ranges in age from 39, my, my sister, her two kids, uh, mid-teens and early teens, and my, sis, uh, my best friend's oldest is also late teen. The issue we're having is that the youngest is really struggling focusing on the game. I've double-checked with everybody in the game that, yes, they still are having fun with the game, everyone's having a good time, the youngest is having a good time, but I'm also sensing the frustration that the youngest is frequently derailing the campaign. Um, little antics that could get the party killed, and I can tell, like, it's causing some frustration. <laughs> um, we've tried little things like doing fidget spinners, to help keep them, you know, entertained when, you know, the game is not focusing on them. But what can I be doing? I don't want to make, uh, I don't want the youngest to feel like they're being singled out. But I, we, I need something. <laughs> so, uh, please help. I, I need some advice. How do I help keep a party engaged with such differing age ranges and levels of focus? We have a theme this episode or something. <laughs> Another uh, a kid problem player. Not, okay, again, like, look, I don't want to vilify these kids, okay? Let's, let's make that very clear, all right? They're kids, all right? When you were a kid, you were stupid. And if you say you weren't, I think you're lying, all right? We were all dumb at some point in our lives. That's just how it is. Um, but, but yes, uh, another uh, kid, you know, relatively problem player who is being very chaotic in their game, and that is, that is unfortunate. Like I said in the previous, uh, with the previous caller, um, you need to, I think you should talk to the kid outside the game, though she is right. When she said, oh, I don't want to single out this kid, you're right. If you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and it's not like, it's not her kid, so that is, ooh, that is a difficult situation to be in. I, I, I do absolutely sympathize with that. I don't know how sensitive this particular kid is to criticism, especially, like, obviously I don't expect that this person, this DM, will, like, harshly reprimand or anything, and I don't think you should be harshly reprimanding anybody for this unless they're doing something really, really bad. But, um, like, you know, kind critique, um, understanding critique, I should say, like, that sort of thing. I don't know how that kind of, how this particular child will respond to that. Like, I've never met them. But, I mean, I coached, like, I'm trying to, like, fi figure out, like, a situation where I've, I have done that one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I, I taught speech and debate uh, for a bit. Like, I, I helped coach, basically. And that was fun. That was great. I taught a lot of, like, younger people how to, like, do public speaking. And sometimes I had to take one aside and, like, kind of not single them out, but like give them a one-on-one -on -one because they were having issues that the rest of the group I was helping with that they weren't having. And that's just going to happen sometimes. And I never had a bad situation there, but obviously, again, I, I kind of like, I blanked out on the age of this particular um, kid, like late, early teens, I thought I heard. I think that that is old enough that they will understand and take respectful criticism, at least I hope, generally. But again, like, I don't have kids... I don't interact a lot with kids anymore. I stopped doing the, that speech and debate thing. So, um, and the amount of times I teach, not a lot because I don't think I'm a very good teacher, honestly. Um, but obviously, my my perspective and my help on the situation is not going to be as good just because, like, the amount of time I'm interacting with kids and needing to critique or curtail issues with kids, few and far between. I still think our game talk is the best way, especially don't call them out in the game. I think the fidget spinner idea or like giving them giving them something to fidget with was good. I think that's a good idea, but clearly it didn't work out here. And those like more gimmicky distractions I find or I have found in the past, again, with my very limited experience, I have found that they are very temporary solutions for a lot of people. I think that, again, like I said before, our game talk is the best way to do this, but I don't know how this particular kid will respond 
maybe you could uh, talk about to about la words are hard. I, maybe you could talk about with his mother. I think his mom's in the game. I think you said. Um, I also think you said it was your, it was your sister. I'm sorry that I blank a lot of the details. I sort of am, I I get into this this rhythm of talking and I kind of forget like where I was before. Um, but talking to his mom about this might also be helpful. But again, like do not harshly reprimand. I don't think harsh reprimandation is is necessary in this situation. Obviously, I think this kid's just trying to have fun, but the fun of this one person should not come at expense of the fun of the rest of the table. So hopefully now a game conversation will help there, just like I said with the last point. But again, I have limited experience in this field, and I hope that advice was really helpful, however rambly it was. Um, hello. Okay. So I've been playing D&D for the past year, uh, same campaign, um, but my character that, that I use is a noble cleric. And most of his character backstory is just really related to his super overbearing parents and lack of self-esteem. And I think what I was hoping was uh, throughout the campaign, his parents would be a very active force uh, that would play into, I guess, the plot we're doing. But uh, what had happened is that they really don't show up. Uh, and I mean, that's completely fair because the DM is burned with a lot of things. You have to handle the campaign, you know, but it's maybe like one mention of what they're doing every like 10 sessions uh, and that's it. Like maybe he gets one letter, like something like that. Um, and it's stuff like, you know, him being, uh, he doesn't really have any driving force like the other character does. He, he doesn't have a goal. Do you have any suggestions on how to fix that? Maybe uh, changes in my, the character himself, giving him a certain goal? Or maybe like, what do I do? Because I... It feels a bit disheartening seeing him have such a back seat um, and only being really there. He, plus, he's a healer, so it's not like he's ha having any major combat moments either. So um, I'm a bit confused. Like, do I talk to the DM or do I do? Okay. So, yeah, that sucks. Getting back seated like that is just... It's not fun. And it, it, it does happen a lot, especially in, when you're a dungeon master and you have a party... Look, we're we're gonna at times kind of focus in on particular player characters, and that's not a great habit. Like honestly, not a great habit. We need to focus on everybody in the party, give everyone their moment. It's okay to focus on particular characters so they can have their arc, but you need to make sure that everyone is allowed to one participate in that arc and two um, have their own storylines for their own characters. And obviously, like you've been playing this game long enough, I feel like you mentioned. Every 10 sessions, you get a letter from your parents. I'm just like, dang, that means you've been playing for a while now. And to me, that signifies if you have not had a spotlight moment, you've been backseat this whole time. That is that is kind of rough. And I do think that you should talk to your DM about this. Like, absolutely. That's the first step. You did mention like, oh, should I like make changes to the characters like backstory, the way it's uh, the way they're played. And that's good. But before you do any of that, please consult your DM about it because you don't know if they do want changes. You don't know what you don't know what changes they would specifically want. And I don't think that you know changing a character that you you seem to like is a perfect solution to this beyond just talking to DM about it. Now I don't know your character backstory like in and out, but from what I heard, they do have a hook. They have something. They have a a point to progress. They have low self-esteem and overbearing parents. Those are two things that could build a really awesome character. If you've watched Critical Role Campaign One, Terry and Darrington had pretty low self-esteem internally. Like he had this, you know, high bravado persona that he put on, but internally he had very low self-esteem, and he had not great parents. He had a lot of parental problems. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I, got a, I got a spam call in the middle of my show. What the heck? Can they not give me a break? Seriously. Maybe that's another topic for another day. But point is, back to the, back to the thing. Terry and Darrington is a, sim is a character that seems similar to this. And that character was awesome. You know? And those are very clear hooks for a DM to use. Now, I feel like when DMs, uh, some DMs, not all DMs, but when some DMs look at backstories, they're looking for something very specific. They're looking for like a villain to overcome or a revenge plot to go on or an artifact that you're seeking. And maybe that's what the DM wants. But honestly, if your plot line is, I think my character wants more self-esteem, wants to like gain confidence. Like as a DM, I find that more freeing because it's not so specific. Like as a dungeon master, I can do a lot with 
a plot line of I have low self-esteem as my character or I have trouble with my parents as my character. There's so many plots I could, I could write with that in mind. And the fact that the DM isn't doing that at all when you've been playing this long uh, signifies to me that maybe they're a bit distracted with the other player characters. And I do respect that you have the grace to understand like that the DM has a lot on their plate, but you've been playing long enough that I think they should have given you something more than a letter every 10 sessions. Now, I don't think this should be a confrontation again. You don't know the DM's motives behind this. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's possible that they don't like your character or whatever, but it's just as likely that there are other people in your party that the DM is also focusing on and you unfortunately fell by the wayside. I do think it's weird that happened for this long, but I don't think opening confrontation is a good way to solve this problem. I think that the first thing you gotta do is just respectfully ask, like, hey, I feel like my character is getting a backseat here. Do you plan to work them into the plot a little bit more? I have a few ideas. And if you have any ideas, that would be the time to present to them. They don't need to be super extreme, but something like, you know, your character has low self-esteem. Maybe they can gain self-esteem by killing a powerful monster, going on an epic monster hunt, or claiming a, a, a very important relic. I remember, you know, Tarion in Critical Role went on all sorts of adventures with the other party. He was mostly just along for the ride while they did their quest hooks. You know, Keyleth wrapping up her stuff with the Arashari. Uh, Tarion was just, he was just on the ride. And he gained self-esteem by just going on that quest. But, of course, like, he wasn't just, you know, a backseat. He was still, like, he got moments of focus to, like, you know, present the fact that his self-esteem is growing. And, like, maybe you could work that into your character. Or instead of, you know, tagging along for someone else's adventure, you know, go on your own epic quest to gain self-esteem. Like, you know, had to head to the notice board and find the, the biggest, baddest bounty to, you know, prove to yourself that you're a talented adventurer. Like, these are all sorts of amazing quest hooks. I'm just coming off with the, off the top of my head, which is why I find it very, you know, it's very strange to me that your DM didn't do any of these things. But again, like, I'm not trying to vilify your DM. I don't know them. And, you know, for all I know, again, they're just a little distracted by the rest of the party. Talk to them about this. Present ideas if you have them. And if you don't have them, simply ask the DM, hey, is my character going to take a bit more of a front row seat? I have felt in the past that they have taken a bit of a backseat, and this long into the campaign, it's starting to like burn out my enjoyment with the game. Don't maybe not go that extreme at the last bit, but try try to convey the fact that you're not having as much fun because your character has been in the back seat this whole time. I think that's pretty reasonable. You know, be kind about it, but don't hold back the fact that you need to say what you need to say. All right, that was a, that was a good one. I like that one. One more. Hey, crispy. Uh, I have a bit of a story here. Uh... Thanks for the opportunity. About a year ago, I joined an online Curse of Strahd game because I had very little experience playing official modules and wanted to try one. Uh, the only really important character here is the DM, uh, who admittedly had never run a game before and mentioned early on that he believed Strahd was a module about making uh, burner parties and just throwing them at the adventure until the players cleared whatever obstacle was in front of them. He also had problems pacing the module uh the group spent eight sessions in death house i left after the sixth uh, but was able to just sort of glean from chat logs uh that the dm eventually made the players roll new characters after they tpk'd during the next two sessions of death house um these sessions would usually be very drawn out exploration and RP uh, until the last one where we got hit with like four back to back encounters that were excruciating to say the least. Uh, we weren't allowed to level up or long rest until we, or short rest, I'm sorry. We weren't allowed to short rest at all until we actually finished the dungeon uh, and no level ups either. So we went through the whole thing at level one and it was just really painful. All right, a Curse of Strahd horror story. We've never heard that before, ever. It's actually very common, which it sucks, because Curse of Strahd is a great module. I love Curse of Strahd a lot, but, excuse me, but, uh, yeah, this is a very unfortunate case of hostile DMing, or at least a DM versus player mentality, where the DM turns Curse of Strahd into a meat grinder, which... I mean, there's nothing in Curse of Strahd that says, like, oh, yeah, you're going to make, like, a dozen player characters out this module. This is, this is Tomb of Horrors V2. I don't, I haven't read through Curse of Strahd 
in a hot minute, but I don't think it's what it says. It might warn about player character death because I do think it's, depending on how your DM runs it, obviously it might be more common, especially since the book encourages you to stick Strahd throughout the game, which, you know, naturally might lead to a little bit more player character death. Um, but of course, it depends on how your dungeon master runs the adventure. In essence, though, like clearly you guys aren't having fun with this Tomb of Horrors Curse of Strahd. And the DM probably should have told you guys beforehand, like, look, this is the kind of game we're running. I now preface a lot of my Session Zeroes by saying, like, a lot of people, not a lot, but players have found my combat in the past to be very difficult. If you've watched Shadow of Kirkonos, you would know, like, yeah, my combats can be pretty tight, especially in mini campaigns, especially when I'm recording them. I want it to be thrilling for the audience. And I qualify that for my players. There's nothing wrong with running a hard, not hard... I don't want to say hardcore because that makes me sound so haughty, but, you know, a bit more of a dangerous campaign. This campaign that you're describing just sounds brutal. Like, I don't know if he just banned you from short resting, but that's just never fun. You know, especially at level one, like, could you imagine going through Death House, which is a level one dungeon, but being forced to go through Death House with no short rests, no long rests, no way to recover anything, like, that's just not fun. Like, there's a reason why games put those health power-ups, you know, or, or like, you know, sandwiches and, and fries and stuff to refill your character's hit points, you know? Like, if you've played a Hades, which is a really tough game at times. Like, Hades is a, you know, it's a top-down dungeon crawler video game that I absolutely love. That game has, like, health power-ups throughout the levels and allows you to regenerate hit points depending on what kind of, like, talents you use. And they don't do that because, like, oh, this is a, a lame game meant for little babies. No, they, they do that because they, they want the game to be fair. <laughs> you know, they want you to be able to, you know, recover a little bit if you play well. And here, your DM is not letting you take a short rest, even if, I'm assuming you would clear the room and then try to, like, take a short rest for a couple hours. Your DM's just like, I don't know, no? That just sounds kind of... Kind of ridiculous. It is kind of ridiculous, honestly, at least in my opinion. This is not a good form of DMing. It, it, it's, it's, very, it's very hostile in a way that's frustrating. Like, running a difficult game is good. Running a game that's just annoying, that's not great. And this just sounds kind of annoying. Um, obviously, once DM curtailing the issue is, you know, a little bit more complicated, talking to them about it is a good idea. But if they're not willing to change that sort of style, which I could totally see if this is the case, um, leaving the game is probably the best option. <laughs> But yeah, um, that is going to be, that's, that's it for the voicemails. Not for the episode. We are going to continue a little bit. I wanted to talk about other stuff. So, you know, title card here. Let's talk about something a little, that might be a little bit random. But I'm going to mix my two favorite things. I'm going to mix my D&D obsession and my Lego obsession because there's something cool going on right now and I want to talk about it. Lego Dungeons and Dragons. I know... Like, whoa, what's going on? Dungeons & Dragons and Lego doing a collab? Sort of. Uh, Lego ran a contest for D&D's anniversary that basically, it's a Lego Ideas contest. If you're not like a Lego fan, you might not know what that is, but Lego Ideas is basically like user-submitted Lego products. If Lego, um, if you get like a certain amount of votes on this, um, this Lego idea that you have, this, you know, set that you have designed, then Lego will look at it and see if they approve it. And, you know, if it's approved, which is hard, by the way, that is really hard to do. Like, there's a lot of sets that get that 10,000 votes, but not a lot of them get that approval, which is really tough, especially when copyright is concerned. Like, if you're trying to do a set with copyrighted characters, that's where things get complicated. But recently, LEGO Ideas has been pumping out some major awesome stuff. Like, I have the yellow... The yellow... The, words are so hard right now. The Lego Yellow Submarine is right over there um, on my shelf. And they've also been putting out, like, Friends, The Office. I think my friend has the Friends set. And uh, the sets are great. Like, honestly, Lego Ideas has been pumping out so much good stuff recently. And they announced a contest. For the D&D anniversary, we are going to run a Lego Ideas D&D contest. Submit the ideas exclusively D&D, and we're just going to see which D&D Lego set makes it to that 10,000, and then we'll see the finalists. Right now, we're in the finalist stage, so I've got my vote in. There are a number of sets that have made it to the, um, to the end point here, which is, which, by the way, for all of these sets, congratulations. Like, 
regardless of my opinion of which one's the winner, all of these are really good builds, and their designers are all really awesome. Congratulations for making it this far. But we have, so far, we have a monster manual, which I don't know if I'm going to put the pictures up. Like, I, my goal with this podcast is to be very unedited. But basically, it's a monster manual Lego set where you have, like, an open book and, like, a Beholder, um, a, a Demogorgon, the Demogorgon, a Red Dragon, a Slime, and a Mimic. And I think that's a nightmare down there, all built in like um, with like Lego bricks and stuff like sticking out of the book. And I think that that's pretty cool. We have Xanathar the Beholder, which is a build of Xanathar in his office, very similar to the like look from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. A transforming mimic set, which I think is pretty cool in concept. It's basically like a mimic that can yeah, that's a chest and then it turns into a mimic. Um, pretty cool. <laughs> and it opens its mouth and everything. It's a nice build. We have Tiamat's Dice Tower, which is essentially a Lego dice tower with Tiamat in the back. Neat. And then finally, Dragon's Keep Journey's End, which is a massive 3,000-piece extravaganza with, um, with... It's basically a whole Lego dungeon. It comes with a number of minifigs that act as your party, a big green dragon, a Beholder build... And a bunch of different, like, locations that you can, like, create a modular dungeon with. A witch's tavern, um, a witch's tower, a tavern, and a dungeon, and a crypt. So, in case you can tell by my enthusiasm with the last set, I want that dra- that green, the, it's a green dragon on the set, by the way. Dragon's Keep, Journey's End, I want that to win. Like, I want that to win so unbelievably badly. The build is gorgeous. And I, the only thing that's kind of, like... In my heart, I'm kind of worried about is the price. It's a 3,000-piece Lego set, which, being generous these days, that's 300 bucks, 10 cents per piece. And, you know, these days, Lego is pretty stingy on those prices. Like, I haven't had a good value set not on sale for a while. Like, honestly, it's been a while since I've gotten a set that I find worth the value. I think the best value I've had was a $300, like, Ninjago set that was 5,000 pieces. That's a great value. But here, like, best case scenario, 3,000 pieces. 3,000 pieces for $300 is kind of like what I'm looking at in my brain space for what this set's going to cost. And obviously, for a lot of people, that's not very accessible. The set, like, the Monster Manual, even though I don't like that build nearly as much, it is probably going to be cheaper. And that's why I think some people are going to vote for that. But damn it. <laughs> Dragon's Keep, like, as a, as a Dungeons Dragons fan and as a Lego fan, it's such a gorgeous build. And I want that in my home. Like, I want, I don't care that I don't have enough room for it right now. Like, I, I have maxed out my Lego shelf space. I want it so badly. I, I, I'm going to, I'm probably going to put the pictures up just because it's, it's not a crazy edit. But they're just such gorgeous builds. And... I mean, it's such a gorgeous set. Damn it, I said that so many times, but it, it's true. The green dragon is really well built. I love brick built dragons. The Z- the the not the Xanathar, the Beholder in the Dragon's uh, Keep build, I think is better than the build for the Xanathar guy in the Xanathar set. Like honestly, I'm just not a fan of that particular brick built a uh, brick built Beholder. The Xanathar, uh, not the Xanathar. Sorry, I keep on mixing up the Beholder and Dragon's Keep. The one I'm going for. It's a purple beholder, it's more generic, and it uses bigger pieces, not as brick-built. But I like the look of it a lot more, and I really hope that that set goes to, goes to final. But, you know, regardless of my opinion on them, I think you guys should go vote. Like, if you're a D&D fan and you got the time to just create a quick LEGO account if you don't have one already, go down and just, I'll, I'll link it down in the description. Go down into the description down below. I'll, I'll hopefully remember to link this LEGO Ideas contest. I think the finalist is getting chosen in, like, two weeks. Um, go vote for which set you think should should get up there because, I mean, this is a really big deal. I think a LEGO D&D set, no matter which one wins, is just going to be really cool. Um, and while I while I dearly hope Dragon's Keep takes the win, um, you know, obviously it's up to you guys what you uh, want to vote for. Uh, but, but yeah, if you guys are interested, head down into the description and you can help choose the fates of these future um, LEGO D&D sets. You know, with that out of the way, I do want to talk more about just, like, generally what I thought of this contest. I thought there were some killer builds in here, especially when it comes to dragons. <laughs> Lego dragons are something that I love. I love Lego dragons. Um, I cannot speak to, however, uh, my disappointment when they were doing Lego The Hobbit for the films. And no matter what you think of those films, I think the aesthetic of them was decent. 
And I thought there were some cool Lego builds that came out of that, but they did a, like, a big, giant plastic Smaug instead of a brick-built dragon. Like, it was just one big plastic piece, like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, in the Jurassic Park sets, which I, I just don't like, guys. I don't like. I don't like it. I do not like it when that happens generally. Like, there are times where I like it, and it's fine. Like, um, I have a Lego Lord of the Rings set where the troll, the cave troll, is just one big, massive, big fig. It's just a big plastic thing, not brick built, you know, with individual Lego parts. I think that's fine. You know, the, the Beholder and that Dragon's Keep set, I think that looks good. But a giant, like, plastic, like, a single plastic dragon I don't like as much just because... Brick-built dragons are so gorgeous. Like, they're so good-looking. They're so good-looking. And, um, and out of this D&D contest, I saw so many good ones. So many good Red Dragon builds. So many good Tiamat builds. Like, honestly, if I'm going to pull for a second, I think the Tiamat Dice Tower set would also be really good as, like, a second win. If, if a Dragon's Keep doesn't work, I would be okay with the Dice Tower winning just because Tiamat looks so good there. I, I'm really happy with also, like, a lot of the modular dungeons that were uh, that were created for this contest, like a lot of people created like these modular dungeons that you could sort of like sort around and like use, like you would like a three D terrain for a dungeon dragon team. I thought that was a really cool idea that a lot of people um, did for this contest, and it's kind of unfortunate that none of them went to print um, or made not went to print, uh, made it to the final. Like none of them made it to this final uh, final decision. Like, the closest is Dragon's Keep, but that's... I don't think it's as modular as, like, a bunch of, like, brick-built tiles that you can sort, like, D&D terrain with. Um, but, but yeah, that that is kind of a shame that none of them made it through, even though I think that those builds were actually really cool, too. Overall, I'm pretty happy with the finalists, and, I mean, this contest is just really cool. I love it when LEGO does this sort of thing with brands they don't normally work with. They, like, they just did a LEGO Transformer set with Optimus Prime, and... Obviously, like, as a D&D fan, I honestly don't have that much D&D, like, memorabilia in my home. Like, obviously, I have my Dungeon Master screen. My Dungeon Master's scream? Oh, God. I have my Dungeon Master screen, and I have my dice, and I have my books. But, like, in terms of, you know, cool minis and stuff, I just don't have that many just because I don't... Honestly, I just don't feel that enthused about collecting, like, minis, even though I think that they are very pleasing aesthetically for a home like big giant ones you know like i saw critical role advertising a giant freaking tarasque i thought that was neat um but you know i never got that sort of thing so seeing like a lego set for DD is really cool to me because i mean if you saw one i think i did a q and play a couple months back where i showed up i have a massive lego collection it's been something that's been a part of my life for a long time and seeing these two things seeing these two things that i love merged into a single entity here is cool. So no matter what set wins, I'm just happy that this is happening, especially with the anniversary of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, well, at this point, it's I think it's behind us. But, you know, especially for the anniversary of d and I think that that's pretty cool. But anyway, you know, I think that that's enough about uh, Lego Dungeons & Dragons. Let's talk about Dungeons & Dragons, Dungeons & Dragons, and talk about uh, the aftermath of running my actual play show and what I learned from it. So my actual play has come to an end, which, you know, I I sort of, <laughs> I didn't dread, but like, I just fell into a rhythm with it. Shadow Over Karakonos, which is the show, ran for a while. Like, it was, I think I was working on that for like two, three months, which obviously next to like something like Crocodile Roll is nothing, but for a guy like me, who had never done that before, kind of crazy. Like, it was 11 sessions until 11 episodes, it was 10 sessions, one of them was split into two. Um, but like just running that sort of, I don't want to say production because again, I don't want to sound haughty, but it was, it was a lot. And there were a couple things I learned about Dungeons and Dragons actual play that I kind of didn't expect. Um, for starters, I learned that my combats are a lot harder than I thought they were. Um, I've been playing with the same home game group for a long time. They have gotten used to the crispy combat. New players were not used to it. Dan Drake, um, Jacob, and Nova, my players, they handled it perfectly. They adapted. They did They did really well. But I quickly realized that my style is very different from a lot of other DM styles. I have also learned that a lot of the rules that I use are not rules as written. Like, a lot of them. Like, a shocking amount of them. <laughs> I thought I had five homebrew rules. I think I, think I have, like, 15. 
like I'm I I was talking I'm playing with another group now. Um, we're recording another show. Um, it's not gonna go up for like a little bit to say the least because we're still recording it and then we gotta do the production stage. So not for a while. But um, in that show, like I'm quickly realizing that I have a lot more homebrew rules than I was aware of. Obviously, they're all cool with it, but like I feel like. Not feel like, I just know that I need to do this. I need to write down all of my homebrew stuff. Sorry, just checking the time real quick. Dang, we've been recording. I've been recording this for an hour. That is almost an hour. That is crazy. But anyway, yeah, I've, I need to write down my homebrew stuff because especially when recording these games, like I need to be open with the players about what kind of game they're playing and I don't want to spring rules on them that they don't know. Like my, rule, my homebrew rules are not crazy. Like for rogue sneak attack, you need to flank. You can't just be standing next to each other. Cause I always thought that that was kind of lame. Like add a little bit of risk in positioning, you know, or at least a little bit of thought into positioning, you know, flanking the enemy. I didn't even know that was a homebrew rule. I just thought that was the way it worked. I thought rogues needed to flank specifically so that it could get advantage on attack and then, um, get the sneak attack. I didn't even know, like, I knew flanking was an optional rule, and at that point, I just thought sneak attack was way harder for rogues. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, honestly, I've played this game for a long time, but when you play in a bubble, you know, when you play with, like, only one group for years and years and years, and you are the only dungeon master that they've ever experienced, and they're the only players that I've ever experienced, you know, your perception of the game is colored, and you, you sort of start to kind of mold your game into your game and change it. And it really exposed to me, like, you know, people say it all the damn time. Constantly people say this. But, like, everyone plays D&D differently. Everyone plays D&D differently. So differently. And, and yeah, I think I need to write down all of my rules so that people understand the way I play the game. Another thing I realized was pre-recording episode is a freaking godsend. Like, I could not do this live at all. It would be so stressful. I would be no, <laughs> I can't do this live. I, I respect anyone who can stream D&D live. I pre-recorded all the sessions, edited them down, and then published them in like a state that I found like worthy of airing, like with sound effects and music and all that. And that was fun, but it was also a lot of work. It was a lot, a lot, a lot of work to get that all done and to do the production of the show in that way. So much work, <laughs> but it was worth it. It was completely worth it to to do the show and to do the story. I mean, these were all characters like Kalia Solfero, Crawford Cyrillish. All these characters were all characters that I came up with with my first campaign. I haven't gotten to play with those characters for years. And seeing them interact with new players and new players like get an understanding of these of these people in in new ways. Um, that was very interesting. Like I love seeing these players interact with Kalia, who was like a huge favorite of my first ever party. And now seeing them glow co close to her character, that was so cool. And obviously like from a DM perspective, this is all very, I know this sounds very selfish. Like, oh, I'm just, you're just talking about your NPCs. Well, like when I'm reflecting on the show, that, that is what I think about a lot because I worked really hard to make these characters seem three dimensional, I guess, like to make them seem like people. And, you know, to interact with these, with these amazing player characters who made such awesome um, and, you know, these amazing players who made such awesome player characters, sorry, I phrased that badly, uh, for this show, it was really awesome. It was so, so cool. And even though, like, there were, there were rough spots, you know, there were bumps in the road, it was a lot of stress editing the show, like, so, um, in the, in the way I produced it, like, I made mistakes when I was producing the show, I'm not gonna lie. Like, the schedule was way too tight. For this next show, I'm loosening up the schedule a lot so that I have more fun, <laughs> frankly. So I have more fun, so I enjoy it more. Um, because even though Shadow of Kerkonos, however, I should say, even though Shadow of Kerkonos was stressful at times, like, I wouldn't, I learned so much from this. And I had so much fun running this game for these players. And it was, it was so amazing. Um, like, I know that not, maybe not all of you watched it, but if you have the time to check out D&D podcast, I think mine is pretty good. I'm still learning a lot about streaming D&D, and honestly, just learning a lot about, uh, words are hard, learning a lot about D&D in general, just because I'm playing with new people. I'm leaving that bubble, which I recommend. I recommend trying it out, at least a little bit. I don't think it's a requirement to be a good dungeon master. Like, I think I was a good dungeon master before I left the bubble, because I was a good dungeon master for my players. My players that I played with, they had fun, and they enjoyed my game. That's it. That's all you need. As long as your players enjoy your game, you're a good dungeon master. But, um... When I left the bubble, I think I became at least a more, like, 
understanding Dungeon Master and a little bit more varied. Like, now I understand all these other ways of playing the game. I understand how other people play, and now I understand more about how I play, because there's a lot of things that I just viewed as normal that, for other people, are not normal, which is just very interesting to learn. So, so yeah, I mean, that is my experience with Shadow over Karakonos. Um, that's, like, the wrap-up, I guess. Um, like, obviously, that show is transitioning into this show, so... I just figured I needed to talk about it. You know, I didn't want to like not discuss the the um the the podcast that would eventually that that slot the slot of that podcast being taken by this podcast. So you know, I figured I might as well talk about it in the rambly way that I do. But um, there you go. There is uh there is my wrap up for for uh, my D and D podcast. Oof. Okay, guys. Do you know what time it is? It's time to end the show. We've been, I've been recording this thing for, like, a long time now. I don't think this episode's going to be an hour, but it's going to be long, and I think that's really cool. We talked about a lot of stuff today. We mostly did voicemails. We talked about some other stuff on the side, which I think is cool. I want to vary up the show and have a bunch of different topics. Um, you know, sometimes it's going to be more voicemails. Sometimes it's going to be more general D&D stuff, talking about, like, news in the industry. But right now, the, mo- the most major news is the Lego stuff, and there, I'm enthused. But there's not a lot for me to discuss, like, for an extended period of time without repeating myself. So, you know, that's the show. But anyway, if you guys enjoyed this episode of Tavern Adjacent, I think that's what we're going to call this. I don't know. That's name might stick. Might stick. I have no idea. But, um, you know, if you guys enjoyed, please do leave a like. I know this was very rambly, more than I usually do, but... I'm trying my best here. If you guys want to see more of my content, then you can check out RPG Horror Stories, where we cover the best of the worst Dungeons and Dragons. And while you're there in the cards, subscribe to Crispy's Tower to get more of our content as it comes out. And finally, if you want to leave your own stories or thoughts, go down to the comments down below. If you can't think of a comment, leave the comment kickoff to let me know you made it to the end of the show. Because it's, it's the kickoff of this show. It makes me sound like a sports person. All the sports ball and, and stuff that's going on right now, I think. Anyway... Also, by the way, uh, you can leave your voicemails down in the description. There's a there's a link where you can record yourself, and if you want to tell me about any of your stuff, and you want to get featured on the show, maybe, you can head down into the description and hit that link and record your voicemail. But anyway, in essence, like, comment, subscribe. I'll see you all next time. Farewell. Farewell.